Hi, and welcome to Drafting Compliance. I'm Kane, he's Tom, and we talked about system and services acquisition last time. Today, we're talking about risk assessment. But before we get to that, we have some beers. Uh, what are we drinking today, Tom? Well, I'm going to blame this squarely on you, Kane, because this is something you came up with. But we are drinking Boulevard <laughs> Brewing, which, by the way, I love Boulevard Brewing. Their, their pale ale is one of the best. But we're drinking Boulevard Brewing Sticky Bun Cinnamon Bun Ale. So, so um, I will own this one, Tom. So uh, my friends and I actually have an observation of people who go to the grocery store and they buy wine based on the label probably don't know what they're doing with wine, right? And I went to the store and I was like, Tom, it has like a little cute, anim like it's got cute creatures. It's kind of like an anime style. It's cartoonish and it's cinnamon bun, which uh, I was telling a friend of mine, I absolutely don't like cinnamon yeah, buns. Yeah, I don't think either one of us are really a, a big fan of cinnamon bun, so I'm not sure why so we're doing like, this, this at all. It just seems like a great idea, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a cinnamon bun ale, and it says right here it is a 9.5%, Tom. Well, hopefully the alcohol covers the taste, maybe. We'll see. <laughs> the... Uh, <laughs> You know how I look at this, Kane? We are just a couple weeks from Christmas when we're recording this. So this is our, mm -hmm. our Christmas ale. Uh, of course, folks won't see it until January, but it's still close enough. Uh, but enough. this this will be fun. So let's crack this, and, and I'm dying to smell it, to be quite oh, honest. Oh, boy, yeah. It's, I'm, I'm, we'll this, is a, this is a 9.5% tall can, Oof. by the way. This is a 16-ouncer. Wow. So I'm, sure, I'm, I'm not even sure I'm going to drink all of this. Oof. From the can, it Ooh. The color honestly surprises me. It's very dark and roasty looking. It is very dark looking, um, but I can kind of see it's kind of reddish actually. Yeah, it has an, a nice. You look amber. at it through the light. It's kind of kind of red adjacent. And it has a very um, caramely looking foam on the top, which is unusual. Mm-hmm. Which I'm not going to stick my nose in. Oh, it smells super sweet. Oh, goodness me! Like a. <laughs> Super sweet beers are not my favorite, so this this does smell like a, a I mean, cinnamon bun. Yeah, it smells thick and sticky, honestly. Jeez, oh, I got too close to it. It, it this smells like misspent youth, right? Yeah. I mean, this, this is a gateway the, drug right here. I suspect this actually oh. the the longer it breathes, the more like the frosting smell you can get out of it. Yep. That's, That's crazy. What I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> this is crazy. I, can, I feel like this is something out of Willy Wonka's factory, to be honest. Okay, I got almost all of the can into my glass, Tom, so oh, I'm learning that. Congratulations, um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm smelling cinnamon, I'm smelling bread, I'm smelling, I can get the frosting. Um, yeah, that's the big surprise to me, that frosting smell. so weird. What is that, Pillsbury, the one that you get in the, in the grocery yeah, the store? Cans. Yeah, I think this yeah, is kind I of mean, adjacent to that. The overarching smell to me is just sweet. It's a sweet smell. Yeah. And I don't and like sweet, that so frosting. this is going to go so well. All right, let's try it. Well, let's definitely have a go, Tom. <laughs> oh, damn. Man, that's sweet. Ah. It, I, I mean, I'm going to be totally honest. It tastes like a cinnamon coats bun. Your coats yeah, your tongue. Yeah, definitely coats your tongue. Oh, it's in my nose. It's got... Mm. Has a flavor profile of cinnamon bun, and it's that surprises frosting me. Frosting and it's sweet. So, it is the the cinnamon bun taste is is very real. So oh, if it wasn't for the strong going. alcohol 
uh, underneath it. Um, it would just taste like a liquid cinnamon bun. And honey. That's the other. <laughs> it's Why very thick. Do? I mean, it's. it's Why it, do we do this? <laughs> because of how sweet and sticky it kind of it is, it, it goes down like almost like a cough syrup for me. So. Okay. I, I always try a second sip. <laughs> oh dear. Oh. Yeah, cough syrup. Oh. Yeah, you get that kind of cough syrupy. Yeah. That's a thing for sure. Oh, I'm gonna be <laughs> I am gonna be brushing my teeth after this episode. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna just do a quick rinse with the uh, water here. So this is actually not the worst thing that I've drank this week. Um, oh, uh, amazingly enough, this is uh, not as bad as the thing that. So I had friends over uh, last night, and um, we had a bottle of Advocat, and Advocat is a traditional German holiday festive. It's made out of like uh, brandy and egg yolks. Oh, and the drink terrible. that I that I was told to fix was a snowball, which involves fresh squeezed lemonade, which I like. And then this advocat in a small, and then you ice. It was supposed to taste like a uh, orange creamsicle. Now, I like orange creamsicles because they don't make any sense. You've got like citrus and you've got like milk, which just shouldn't go together normally. And this on the other hand, tasted of powdered eggs and lemon. Mm. So, uh, it thankfully wasn't sweet. I will give so, it that. It was thankfully so not sweet. the cinnamon bun is better. Uh, this is actually, I will say, better than that because that was just like it, it. It thankfully didn't curdle, which was my real concern. But it was, it was just unpleasant. Like I don't like powdered eggs, um, and it was just kind of. <laughs> this, on the yeah. other hand, though, wow! Like um, again, I own that. I, I chose this nightmare for That's us. Right. So um, this is all on you. <sighs> do with the rest of that one it's just gonna sit there and lurk um but today we're supposed to be talking about not beer we're supposed to be talking about risk under fed ramp and uh yeah i think actually we should talk about the risks of this beer i think this is <laughs> the this risks is real. are real this, because it, this is it, the real like, risk assessment here like there's a yeah. dude making a phone call because he's worried about this beer um i think that's probably the problem but but really tom what is the um under fed ramp what's the risk assessment family of controls all about Sure. I mean, it shouldn't be any real surprise, right? The risk assessment family of controls is all about like, how do you identify, analyze, which is a big theme in this family, Mm -hmm. analyze, uh, and then mitigate uh, risk in your environment. So it it walks you through sort of all of the steps that are prescriptive underneath FedRAMP to get to get to that. And of course, it mirrors NIST. There should be no surprise there. Of Um, course. It, it, you you know, got to like remember that FedRAMP is all about cloud security right so Mm -hmm. the purpose of it is you're a csp you're providing cloud security so there's a focus on cloud security in here as well which shouldn't surprise anybody Mm -hmm. but it's 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 exactly what most organizations should be doing anyway whether you're doing FedRAMP or not Um, having a framework around risk is is a critical piece of of any information security program and this is no different Okay, cool. So it's it's really about things that are core to us, really about how do you do risks at a cloud service provider? And how do you do risks overall? So I suppose that the real question that comes to mind here is um, around evolution and around time. So Tom, how has the FedRAMP risk assessment control family really evolved 
in response to our uh, changing landscape of cloud security. Sure. I, I think the the emphasis on on analyzing, because I think there is a nod here that NIST isn't going to have an overarching knowledge of everybody's risk, right? So they're really asking you, put together a program where you understand your own risk. So that analyzation piece of it, that's a big one. And then, of course, um, as seems to be um, throughout the FedRAMP, especially Rev5 edition, there's a focus in here on your on your supply chain. So mm-hmm. you know, there's a nod to supply chain uh, in a number of control families now. It's 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 part of the DNA of any information security person anymore. So it shouldn't be a surprise again. But right. you're going to analyze your supply chain uh, risk as well with this this family of control. So that's that's probably the biggest evolution that's occurred. Um, but otherwise, it's a pretty standard information ri- uh, security risk framework um, designation. Well, I, hmm, <laughs> let me just be pedantic here just for a second. I don't think it's a it's a it's not a risk framework. It's a series yeah. of controls okay. that we apply right. to risks, but it's not an RMF. Uh, just have to say that one there. But the other thing that comes to mind in terms of evolutionary changes, I think that it's still evolving, right? Like this is not a static framework. As you say, we saw Rev5 come up because supply chain is now at least getting a nod. Um, if I were to be, uh, if I were to be using my crystal ball, I'd say I'd expect even more of that in future revisions based on adversarial engagement, which is what I think has driven a lot of these conversations in the past that led us to Rev Five, right? It, absolutely. I mean, we know that um, as NIST evolves, FedRAMP evolves, and we know mm-hmm. that NIST is is pretty consistently being looked at in terms of what needs to be added. I think they've done a better job lately in terms of of stacking those things and releasing them as a single. Um, iteration upgrade. Um, mm-hmm. But we're going to see that with FedRAMP. And we're certainly going to see, I think, an evolution around supply chain. I think right now there's a there's a uh, an ask on you know, anybody going through the ATO process to assess your, your supply chain. I think it's going to get uh, considerably more prescriptive over time. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, let's talk about challenges that, that organizations run into. Like, you and I have done this before. What are the most challenges, most significant, let's say, challenges that organizations are facing when implementing the uh, risk assessment controls? And how have you typically seen that be addressed? Yeah, well, let's let's be honest. The the conversation of risk is is as much about the words that you use as anything. And getting people aligned top to bottom on what it means when you talk about risk is always a challenge. So this is talking about getting everybody in the big offices on the corner, right? Aligned with everybody who's down in the trenches about what risk means and making sure that everybody understands this isn't just information security, although certainly with FedRAMP, that's a big focus, but risk is bigger than that, right? So you want to align information security risk and business risk together, and you really want to take a holistic approach uh, when you talk about risk. Otherwise, you're talking about risk in pockets, which means you can't really Mm -hmm. prioritize it, right? That's always right. a challenge. I mean, I've seen it in companies big and small to get people aligned behind what it means to talk about risk and what is really defined as a risk rather than a threat or something like that. It's always a difficult sort of mental exercise to get everybody aligned. Once you get there, um, this this usually flows pretty well. Um, people start to get the hang of it pretty quickly. Um, mm-hmm. You you do want to have more than one person in the room doing these, these sort of assessments, right? Uh, especially when you start to define what is risk. Um, to do that exercise in a vacuum or even to have you know five people all doing it separately but not discussing that's a that's a bad way to do it you need the flow Definitely. of information 
you need the the ideas to bounce off everybody else so people really align to what risk looks like so let me let me just do a what if for people in the audience here so um because there's always this question of what is a risk and what defines a risk so let's let's try and quick live exercise here, Tom. So let's say we have a system and let's say the system is internet facing and let's say it has a vulnerability and there's evidence of an exploit being available in the wild for that system. That's a vulnerability it, to me. Is it a that's, risk? That's not Thank a risk. You. Okay, now, I had to ask because some people I know who will remain nameless um, would say, well, that's a risk. And I would posit like you, that is not itself a risk. Right? There's no impact statement associated with it. And I didn't define what type of system it was. It could be some dev burner system that has no material impact on the business. right? And it's still just a vulnerability. That's not I, a risk. I will say that this family of controls blurs the lines a little bit. So there is a whole section under RA about vulnerability management. So right. they're nodding that vulnerability management is a feeder into information security risk. Mm -hmm. um, in my opinion, they they confuse it a little too much. But um, the fact of the matter is it, it is rolled up underneath here. So you've got to account for it in your program. Right. OK. And we, we will get to those controls in a moment. Um, but before we do, I want to just ask about um, the risk assessment controls, how they compare with other cybersecurity frameworks that we have, such as other NIST frameworks or ISO standards. Sure. So what's interesting is, you know, if you looked at, say, NIST and ISO together and then compared it to FedRAMP, you're going to see a ton of overlap because they're all really the controls. Well, NIST is NIST and, and FedRAMP is NIST based. But you see ISO borrows significantly from NIST as well. And whether that's by design or by, you know, just best practice accident, um, mm -hmm. you're going to see a lot of overlap in those controls. And similarly, you're going to see a lot of overlap in almost any framework that you come across what, that's talking about risk assessment. Now, right. So I, could, I imagine that a lot of organizations then could take the work that they've done on FedRAMP and reapply it to uh, an ISO standard as part of their ongoing compliance operations. Completely. I mean, it should be completely reusable. The, the fact of the matter is FedRAMP will be more prescriptive and mm -hmm. leave less opportunity for interpretation. So um, it, it should be very transferable. The, there is, of course, the differences of tailoring to specific asks of frameworks. But that's really more of a like a scoping exercise underneath the major requirement. It's not it's not a big difference in terms of, of the meat and potatoes of the of the framework. So you're going to see a lot of similarity. Fantastic. And if you're watching this and you're enjoying this conversation on YouTube, do ring the bell to get notifications about my quest to find literally any beer that's well, better than this or subscribe to this in your podcast app of choice to make this part of your monthly routine. So, Tom, I want to ask about some specific controls. Um, sure. I wanted to start right at the top, like we always do. Uh, let's talk about RA1. Um, how do organizations typically approach the development and the documentation of risk assessment policies and procedures to make sure that they're actually aligned with the complex nature of their operations? Yeah. So the policy piece is easy. And usually that's the piece that can be written in a vacuum because it's really mm -hmm. just aligning your requirements. Um, so your information security guy is going to read FedRAMP. He's going to build out his policy. Um, he might throw it around the the leadership ring and say, hey, are there are other requirements from a bigger business risk that we want to include in this one policy. But that's the easy piece of this. The process is the part that is completely customized to an individual organization. Mm -hmm. So you really have to pull the covers back. You're going to have some organizations that <clears throat> maybe have a chief risk officer that mm -hmm. already has lockdown on how he views risk 
yeah, there might be some horse trading to get information security placed correctly and make sure that everything's being looked at holistically. But he has a process generally already in place, right? So what you're doing is you're is you're pulling uh, his process into the FedRAMP um, documentation, so it's it's documented and and you make sure that you're you follow it, uh, on, you know, right. on a quarterly, annually, whatever basis it is. There's other organizations that do not have this uh, this built out, and that can be a real challenge. Yeah, um, you're asking folks that have been tact- often tactical security folks to suddenly step back and say strategically, how do I look at risk, right? Mm-hmm. And what is the process I want to flow through? Who needs to be there? What's the frequency? Uh, you know, what are the metrics we're going to use for impact and likelihood? You know, th- these are all pieces of that of that process that you have to define for yourself, document, and make sure you follow. That can be a challenge. Oh yeah, yeah. I remember actually. Um, I was working with a, a multinational uh, firm, and they had a risk policy that they would do a risk assessment every five years, and they'd update their procedures associated with their risks as well every five years. And this was in the past three years. Like this was kind of in the middle of the pandemic, I think, is when I had them as a client. Hmm. Anyway, um, where that was incredibly problematic for them is they wrote the policy. Uh, let's say 10 years ago, uh, and then they had an entire staff change in between, and then it came to the five-year mark, and they did the thing that was written down, and they made some notes, and then they changed the entire team again. And so when I came to them at the next period to talk to them about their cybersecurity uh, maturity, um, they were adrift because they first of all realized that they shouldn't just like do a risk assessment every five years because that doesn't make sense in the modern right. world. But they also didn't know like how do we how do we update this? How do we move forward from this weird place that we're at? And I, I guess that makes me think of like the for RA one. There's also triggers in there, right? So so what would triggers would really lead to the review and update of those current policies and procedures under RA one? And and how often would you say organizations need to do that? Well, there's the default trigger, which is one year. So mm-hmm. after every year, you should be reviewing policy and procedure. I think actually for moderate, FedRAMP gives you some wiggle room. I think it, I think it can be up to three years. But um, <laughs> I'm telling you as an information security person, especially when it comes to risk, but really all your policy, try to review it annually. Um, it yeah. just It's just going to put you in a better position. So that's the default trigger. Now, there's this mm-hmm. other sort of category of triggers that you would say are event-driven. And certainly mm-hmm. when it comes to risk, those can seem fairly diffuse uh, to your everyday operations, but you really need to consider them. You know, I think about the, you know, you, you, you talked about an organization that had a, had a five-year cycle. Well, I think every organization should have assessed risk based upon macroeconomic pressures uh, mm-hmm. that are occurring uh, really, I would say, since, since the, the uh, conflict in Ukraine, the war in Ukraine began. You know, we we had very predictable economic pressures that came with that war, and it does impact business. Certainly, impacts supply chain around the world. So, um, you should at least uh, put that in your risk assessment that you've looked at it and you uh-huh. either deem that it's low low impact or medium or high or whatever it is for you. But if you're completely ignoring it, you're doing a disservice to your organization. You should be looking at triggers that are occurring not only in information security space but also. Uh, really on in the macro level in the world and saying, is this something that I need to assess in my risk uh, program? But now that, like, I'm, I immediately thought of ERM and ER, yeah, ESG, uh, sorry, Enterprise Risk Management and Environmental, um, what is the S and SG? Societal and, geez, governance. Um, 
That's not in FedRAMP, though, is it, Tom? No, there's no ESG in FedRAMP. Okay, that's what I thought. And ERM is also not in, in FedRAMP, so macroeconomic, even though I totally agree with you that, yes, you should be looking at these things, that's not actually a trigger under FedRAMP, is it? Well, it's not for FedRAMP, FedRAMP but moderate. again, I, I want to go back and say that you should not have two information security risk programs in your organization. Oh, totally. 100%, so, 100%. I'm just so I'm, I'm going to, like, a, what does the FedRAMP yeah. program specifically require? Because otherwise, somebody in the comments will, will say, um, actually. And yeah, well, um, so what, we're making what a best practice recommendation here, not necessarily a, here's what FedRAMP says. Yeah, but FedRAMP does say, sort of in a very broad way, assess your risk mm-hmm. and analyze your risk and and put in place your mitigations against risk. Now, because FedRAMP is based upon a boundary, it's mm-hmm. it, it, what they're really saying is, is you should do it around this boundary, right? And you're right. The, the best practice should be don't disclude um your bit your greater business or certainly don't have two programs that aren't intertwined and feeding each other on priority so yep got it you're got right it, got it got it I, right. you know you're you're like the um you're like the grammar police of this podcast and i appreciate that kane i do <laughs> you, you keep me on track but no that's you're exactly right fed ramp is not that detailed okay fantastic and now i'm apparently the grammar police as well as a pedant so i'm just <laughs> having a banger kind of day and we still eventually have to talk about this um but i wanted to ask you about a couple other controls um i want to talk about ra3 um so in the context of ra3 how are organizations really conducting a comprehensive risk assessment particularly and this is again FedRAMP, where they talk about identifying system threats and vulnerabilities yeah, this is a place where, again, they confuse, in my opinion, they, the word risk, threat, and vulnerability. Yep. But um, we have to take it holistically, right? So, you know, there's a baseline here that we have to assume is in place, and that's that you un- understand the inventory of your of your boundary, because that's mm-hmm. what all this is going to be based upon. This is a feeder into the POAM, so every month you're going to report upon it. Uh, but you really have to do a complete assessment of of everything inside your boundary and you can't, you can't take a, a, the easy button approach to it. You know, they're going to want to make sure that you've done a comprehensive analysis of what's in the boundary that uh, you've looked at things uh, holistically. So, you know, firmware levels and you, you've done your vulnerability scans. You've, you've thought about, <clears throat> you know, Hey, if we're a windows environment, are we more apt? Uh, is a likelihood higher that we're going to be attacked than if we're say a Linux environment? Don't know if it uh-huh. is or not in your stance, but that's the level of detail they're going to want to understand. They're going to make sure that you integrate those results um, from you know all the, the vulnerability scanning, the threat analysis, all of that integrated into the larger risk management uh, decision making that's happening in the organization. Uh, and then basically assess the results of all that analysis and what does it mean in terms of how you are going to proceed. Um, are you making yeah. changes? Are you you know, putting in new controls, um, all of that needs to be documented. So it's a RA3 is the it's is a holistic the, approach. Yeah, it's and it's the meat and potatoes of this, you know, right. Yeah. Policy and procedure and, you know, some of these other um, those are relatively easy controls to meet. This one is the meat. And this is where you're really going to have to think about um, your particular boundary in particular. What does it mean to assess risk in it? And are we doing comprehensive vulnerability scanning? Cool. 
Cool, cool. All right. So uh, last last question on a specific control here. Um, let's talk about strategies. Um, the strategies that you use in remediation of identified vulnerabilities, which is required under RA5, and how organizations would prioritize those vulnerabilities based on the risk assessment. Yeah. So again, RA5 is all about vulnerability monitoring um, mm -hmm. and scanning. So you know, at a base level, do you have the scanning in place? Um, is it is it frequent enough? Is it in depth enough? Is it running with privilege, which is a big piece of this? So you've got to make sure that you're not running, you know, sort of the the blind assessor um, type vulnerability scanning. This is hey, we're we're actually inside and in, in assessing uh, vulnerabilities as as if we got inside privilege. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what this is all about. And then again, it all has to flow. So you have to make sure that what you find in that scanning flows right into the POAM. The POAM has to have very specific uh, attributes associated with it, right? So uh, when was it found? How quickly did you mitigate it? What did you do to mitigate it? You know, all of this has to flow up. Um, certainly where it gets the attention of the larger risk register is when you have something that you can't easily mitigate. Um, or you can't mitigate it in the way that um, you would you would like. So maybe you have to put some compensating controls around it uh, for a period uh -huh. of time and report on it uh -huh. differently. That's when it hits your risk register uh, in the bigger risk program in general. Okay. So so but the key emphasis point there you have is it's an internal scan with privilege, not an external scan, and then really prioritizing. Do, do they have um, evidence of? usage in the wild or a, a proof of concept for a vulnerability as a criteria? What they have or is, is that just like, hey, there's a vulnerability and it's priority? What, what they have is you need, oh yeah, if there's a vulnerability, it's a priority. That that part is period. But So it's not, they, so it's not that nuanced then? But what, what is nuanced is there is the requirement that the tool set that you use is mm -hmm. getting frequent, capable, and I think the, the term is uh, readily updated with emerging threats and vulnerabilities. So what they're nodding to is the fact that, you know, you're probably going to have a tool like we do that's scanning continuously. That mm -hmm. tool doesn't do you any good if it's scanning continuously, but not being updated uh, continuously right. as well. So, right. you know, that that's actually a, that's has not been in the industry as easy as I just made it sound. <laughs> no, so, no, it's definitely you know, not. And there's been far too many false positives out of far too many tools that land on too many people's desks that, that's uh, right. yeah, sucks the air out of the room. When that's you're doing phone management and patching. Yeesh, yuck. Speaking of sucking the air out of the room, um, I have been wrinkling my nose here. Uh, I think some viewers might have seen it. I can smell this now. Like I normally, when you and I do a show, I can smell the beer at the top of the show, and then I'll put it down on the table I have in front of me, and I can't smell it. This, I, it's very aromatic. It is very, it smells oh, like a cinnamon. Yeah, it's diffuse. It's it's a very, um, ugh, it smells like a cinnamon, like if you baked them in your kitchen. And yeah. You know how, it, what I think it's, it smells like, uh, it smells like a cinnamon roll that has been dipped in like a liqueur. Um, it has that. Be the only way to have that, actually. Yeah. Depending on the liqueur, really... of course. Just don't do Advocat, I'd say. Yeah. yeah and I, do. I do want to point out, I haven't even emptied all of my can into this glass. And this is very not typical for me to have that much beer still. <laughs> yeah, here's how much I can still fit in, right? Oh, look at that. Yep, yep, yep. All right. Well, as usual, I... Um, I'm going to 
regret this one. I usually try the uh, beer at the end of the show to see how it's um, so sweet. But, oh, dang, that smell. The um, the nose is very prominent, very pronounced cinnamon. Um, cinnamon, sticky, cloyingly sweet, something that probably like um, your dentist approves of this. I'm pretty sure it feels that sweet, actually. Um, and as usual, I'm going to take another sip before we before we review this, here goes. Oh, goodness. Oh, yeah. Tom, I found a one. <laughs> hey, uh, we, we found a one, buddy. We have, we have found the floor there. I cannot imagine, even including sour beer, that there is a worse beer out there than this. This is possibly the worst thing that I've drank this year. Wow. So it's got, I think it's gotten worse. Over it's time gotten worse over time. Yeah. yeah. Initially I was like the <clears throat> egg thing with the brandy in, but at least that it wasn't this nasty. This is just, this is horrible. <laughs> this is just disgusting. Well, I think uh, anybody who follows me closely enough would know that it's not typical for me to not have this most of the way gone as we talk. It's, um, I mean, to be honest, Kane, uh, just to talk with you, I need plenty of alcohol generally. So, um, so what, uh, what I don't like in beer, this embodies pretty closely. I don't like sweet and sticky tasting beers. Um, and that's all of these things. I do like ales. So, um, this is an ale, so that should have been good. But one thing about ales is it gives you the opportunity to do creative and sometimes really poor decision-making. So that's a that's an indicator of this. I cannot get away from the idea that this is this is sort of like the cough syrup mom would throw down your throat when you're a kid. Um, and so I honestly think of it as almost like a punishment to drink this. I and that that's not like me because I'm I'm really open minded when it comes to beer. And this has a really oily hang too, by the way. So um, I want to go back and say one thing. I'm a big fan of Boulevard Brewing in general in a bunch of okay. their beers. This is not one of them. I'm going to I'm going to meet you at the bottom. I'm going to give this a one. So I, I nice. am not. I am. I am. I'm kind of done drinking it. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna savor all nine and a half percent alcohol uh, in the rest of this beer. I'm going to uh, punt on it. Yeah, we have uh, we have found the worst beer of the year. I suspect at this point, Tom. Yeah. Thanks. Merry Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, again, it, it just do, do not buy based on how the ca- how the cute can looks. Apparently, that is a uh, poor choice when selecting a beer. But with that, that's all for today. If you think that you know a beer that um, that I'd like, that Tom would like, if you know anything that is actually better than cinnamon bun ale, uh, or if you have a FedRamp question, drop it in the comments below. And remember to like our LinkedIn and YouTube pages to hear live interviews with information security professionals. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.